Thank you, Leslie and Paul. Good to see the rest of you here today. <laughs> Thank you. I, you guys, I think summer's coming to an end, though, isn't it? You can feel it in the mornings now. Uh, I need a lot more summer to finish, <laughs> I can tell you that. So, At any rate, let's take our Bibles uh, once again this morning and let's turn to the book of Acts. Continue on in our, our journey, if you will. Acts chapter 13, and uh, I guess I didn't think about it until right now. Let's, uh, let's read our passage again, beginning at verse 13, we'll read through uh, verse 42. Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. Now when Paul and the company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed them, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God according to his promise raised unto Israel, a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think you I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent." For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the, free, from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised Jesus up again. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you 
the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. May God add a special blessing in reading of His Word, and let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank You for the beautiful day of which we can be gathered and to be here around Your Word. As we're gathering in this session, Father, we would ask that You would be glorified. And Father, as the Holy Spirit and He alone were asking to exclusively teach us through the power of the Word, that literally we would be blessed as a result. Father, take us where You want us to be. Uh, these moments are Yours for us. And Father, what we receive, we want to thank You for, even in advance. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and thinking of his miraculous change in life. Here was a Christian killer. Here's someone that would have been a vehement enemy against you, Father. Not even knowing it, though, he thought he was worshiping God by killing Christians. But he met Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Here he is sharing with a group of people many miles away from home in Antioch and Pisidia. Came into a synagogue, sat down. And then was given the opportunity to, to teach and to preach about Jesus. May we do the same. May Jesus be front and foremost in our lives and who we come in contact with. Now, Father, these moments are yours for us. We receive it in asking the Spirit to lead and direct. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we're going through the book of Acts, it's been quite a journey. Um, Maybe we'll just kind of, Laramie, maybe put our map back up there for a moment, and uh, we'll kind of re rehearse quickly uh, the journey that's taken place. And we're on a whole other section. The Jews, literally the gospel was given to first. Uh, it went into the Samaritans. It went to the Gentiles initially through a man by the name of Cornelius. Peter was, was very instrumental. Again, I, I want to point you back to the key, the key uh, verse in the sense of Peter being fulfilling what Jesus had said is, he's, is in Matthew chapter 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, On that rock, on that rock, not Peter, Peter was a small rock, on that rock, that thou art the Christ, that's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of the living God, on that is what the church will be built. And Peter was given the keys, and notice Acts is about giving keys to receiving the Holy Spirit. The Jews first and foremost received the Holy Spirit after they trusted in Christ, that Messiah. And for the Jew, that was a big, big, big deal. In fact, we're going to be working on it as Paul is delivering his message to literally have this thing in place that they could not put Jesus and Messiah together. They killed him. How could you make him the Messiah, for heaven's sakes? Paul's going to take that journey and that mission. Peter did it very well in the first day of Feast of Pentecost. The Samaritans were saved um, at, at the help of, I'm failing, remember that guy's name? What was his name? Ah. Come on, what was it? Remember, he was, he was one, there was, Barnabas was selected and this other guy. And then he went off, you guys, okay, everybody's nodding their head, but nobody remembers his name. It wasn't Ralph and it wasn't Barney, it was somebody else. Okay, but at any rate, uh, you can find it in your screen. Now you guys are, by, now I got to go find it. I have to find it for just a second. I will find it. Uh, well, as, you're, as you're thinking about that, um, nope, 
Well, that's a good try, though. John Mark was actually really incidental in, uh, instrumental in Barnabas and Paul going out. Um, I think it's in chapter, chapter 8, I believe, isn't it? Uh, where is it? Cornel no, that's not it. Philip, there we go, Philip. Dear old Philip, I knew it was Philip all along. So did you. <laughs> Just going to remember it. Can remember it. Well, anyway, Philip does his work in Samaria, but guess, guess what? Peter comes to Samaria making sure that the same Holy Spirit is validated in the sense of the Church of Jerusalem. So we have the Samaritans and the Jews together. And Cornelius, the Gentile, Peter's instrumental, all three of those groups. That's crazy news. I don't even know how you put that on the same page. You couldn't even have it in the same newspaper, honestly. That's craziness, and it's the same Holy Spirit. It's just like the Jews are astounded by all of this. But it's, it's moving, it's shaking, it's going. Uh, we know that the beachhead for the Gentile church expansion explosion is in Antioch. Paul's country, where, where was he from? He was from Tarsus. And I've got to figure out, i got to point this the right way, don't I? Yeah, there you go. Whoop, still got it wrong. All right. Uh, Tarsus was, was Paul's hometown. He was a Jew. Uh, mark that very carefully. It would have made a great deal of significance how he approached all of this area of Gentile cities, Gentile influence. It's amazing, though, that Paul always seemed to go. We see it again here today. He would pop into a synagogue. Synagogues were made for Jews. It was a worship center. But there was something about that. It was always a platform. One of the things that's hard for us today, we've been talking about even in this in the last couple of weeks, for you to just engage in a conversation and bring Jesus into it. It's becoming more difficult because no one knows Jesus. In, in, in Jewry, he didn't start with Jesus because that would be just like, <laughs> it would be like spitting in their face. I don't know if you are acquainted with Jews uh, of any way. Jesus is not the way to start a friendship. Uh, yeah, don't you love Jesus? They, uh, no, <laughs> you know, it's totally, Walt, hands are up. So that's not where Paul started either. He didn't start. We'll get into that in a moment as well. But he always went to the synagogue with a platform starting about who is God? How does he play into it? They find themselves today in Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, we do know that this first trip uh, they took, someone said, uh, Mary Kay, I think you said John Mark, uh, Barnabas, the encourager, the guy that's just out there to get things going. I still say, if you would have taken Paul's life after he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, there is one individual that literally opened the, the doorway for Paul to be accepted. That man is Barnabas. He went down to the church in Jerusalem and they said, oh, no, 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 we know this guy. This is Saul, the guy that really literally is trying to take and persecute all Christianity. And you're telling me now that he's what, an apostle? Right? Barnabas was the one that said, yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact, yes, God has changed him. God has taken him to a level now where I'm going to use him, Paul, to expand the gospel to the entire Gentile world. Whoa, right? Barnabas is that person. That's one, that's one of the things I'm going to continue to encourage you to be is an encourager. There's people today that need a word of encouragement just to keep moving. Our world today is messed up. Does anyone doubt that? Let's meet afterwards. It won't take me long. Four or five minutes, we'll tune you right in. But you know what? It really isn't much different, though. Any world, any age in which has really come. You, you read through the book of Judges and you're just like, whoa, right? It's crazy. That's what society, that's Satan's trap and literally has taken man down the sin road. All of this is the, the, the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of the good news. 
how is Paul going to attack this? He's come to a new town. They, don't, they know of him. I'm sure they do because they approached him. And just to review from last week for a moment. Uh, Barnabas and Paul and John Mark too. It doesn't mention him by name, but he was with them. No, he wasn't, was it? John Mark took a little trip back to Mama's house. Something happened. Now, we did say, uh, incidentally, this uh, region, let me kind of find it here, from Perga, see, that's where, they, that's where they departed from, and they went to Pisidia, and at this trip right here, that is some of the wickedest, nastiest tra- terrain you'll ever, it's the Taurus Mountains. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, but Alexander the Great, even in, in, in conquering that area, even including the battle, he said, the toughest thing that I had was going through the Taurus Mountains. It's not even stated here. Maybe John Mark said, it's enough of that for me. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians, I can't remember exactly where Paul said he was <clears throat> shipwrecked and he was all of those things. A lot of those, probably quite honestly, if you go through the list, happened on that little trip. They get in Antioch, or Antioch and Pisidia. They sit down in the synagogue. Just sit down. Didn't come announce. Just sit down. And the guys say, hey, you got something to say right now? You know, you're from out of town. What, what, you got a word from God? Let's say it. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think it was a lot longer than we read. This baby was full-blown, right? But what's Paul going to say? Was he prepared? You better believe it. That's the two things, three things that we've actually been talking about. And all of this leading up to that. If you, spiritual leaders, what do they do? They prepare. They're available and they prepare. If you're a Christian, you're in a war. You don't get to choose. It's not like a buffet. Let's see, I don't want any spiritual warfare. No, no, you have spiritual warfare. And the more that you move towards God, the more resistance you will get. You take a look at the Gospels. I'm sorry, if you take a look at the Acts, this, this book of Acts, and you start, start to look at Satan's resistance, it's amazing. In fact, right here, we've got to, we've got to think of this. You go to the Cyprus, this is, where, this is where Barnabas is from. They go to Paphos, the governor of the entire region, I'm sorry, of the entire island, comes and says, I want to know more about this Jesus. Well, who do you think is going to go, dun, 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 there he is. It's good old Bar-Jesus, a sorcerer. And he's trying to resist Paul from even telling. Do you think that's not happening today? Of course it is. Of course it is. When we have prayer groups meeting, we have Bible studies meeting, when we, have, when we meet even here, I, I can tell you already today, and you don't, need to, you don't need to acknowledge it, there are people that did not come today because something came up and they were not able to do it. I can't, countless times, right? And you, if you're here today, probably pushed through things that you said, unbelievable, only on Sunday morning. Yes, it's only a Sunday morning. Satan doesn't want you gathered. He doesn't want this to happen. Are you kidding me? Christians meeting together around God's word, hearing from the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Satan, I want more of that. No, of course not. Do you think he wanted Paul to say what he said in, in Antioch? Of course not. The part that's weird is the fact that we don't even see it coming. You notice that? And yet, Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10, that would be some of your reading for this afternoon. You don't just take one piece of armor to a war. You take it all. And guess what? God has given you every piece you need to be victorious. Because God's already won the war. That's what's really cool. We're sort of in the, uh, what would I call it? A, oh, what's, uh, ah, it's just failing. Anyway, it's it's almost like a follow-through. It's not like the, the victory's not in question. Now, that would be really scary to me. Okay, we have this war going on, and it's Satan versus God, and we don't know who's going to win. What did you say? I said God wins. God wins. That's exactly right. He's already won. 
It's past tense. But there, oh, it's be, before there was anything, there was God. See, that's really cool about an infinite, an infinite God. He was. He is. Always has been. How's your head? We're not able to handle all of that. Okay? Satan has never always been. He was created. What's the opposite of God? The answer is nothing. That's not even the right word. There is no opposite to God. There's nothing to compare to him. You know, when I, and I, if you throw that out there without, people just thinking it's the evil versus good. What's the opposite of God? I can't tell you. It's, it's just, it's a trick question. Uh, Satan. No. A million times no. Satan isn't even, he's not even a spot on the wall compared to God. Now he thought he was. That's what pride can do. Excuse me? He started in heaven. It, yes. Satan thought he was going to be like God. He claimed he was going to be like God. And guess what? And this is what's really, you know, you think about angels and all of the properties they have. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. You just be really thankful that you're you. And God gave you more than one chance to get it right. I didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> I still won't get it right the first time. But you know what? Those angels, all of those ones that created and all of the power, the magnificence, the, I mean, the beauty, the all of the things that they are, right? which I can't even describe for you fully, but the scriptures unfold for us that they're amazing, right? Amazing. One third of those fell with Satan. One shot. I don't know how, what, what, did it, what was it about Satan? See, that's why, if you think about it, uh, why are we fooled today? I'm going to say a third of the angels got fooled in God's presence. The guy's good. He's really good at selling stuff. And one crack, and they're forever doomed to hell. Now, that's what hell was created for. The everlasting lake of fire was never created for mankind, ever. It was for Satan and his angels, or demons now. Think of that. But two-thirds never wavered. Still there. Here we are today. There's probably someone who will hear my voice that today, given the opportunity to accept Christ as Savior, will reject that. I hope not, because today is the day of salvation. Don't take for granted that you have another day. Never. Don't do that. But if you do, and tomorrow God gives you the grace to have that day, guess what? If you accept Christ tomorrow, that's his grace fully unfolded. The angel's got one go. Now, how did we get down this trail? What were we talking about? Whoa, it was a good trail, but where, where were we going? All righty, very good. We'll just pop right out of that little paragraph and we'll move on. Paul's in, excuse me? Persecution. Yeah, well, yeah. Satan, he's, he's bringing a war. He always has, always will. Acts, I'm glad it's there. Again, I'm so glad that Acts is there. Anytime God is moving out, Satan's entering. But here's the really good thing. Just like they, those men hung Jesus Christ on a cross. And you're saying, does that mess it up? I mean, they killed the Messiah. I mean, think, just a second now. Think about that for a moment. Okay, so they missed the Messiah. The rulers missed the Messiah completely. That's not a surprise. They couldn't see anything in front of them. They read the scriptures. They didn't see anything. Does that, does that negate Jesus as being the Messiah? That they didn't see? Of course not. But what after they killed the Messiah? That doesn't sound good. If you're looking for the Messiah and they killed him, uh, that's not good. But do you know it says, right, we just read it this morning, we'll get in, get in a moment, that literally God fulfilled the promises, plural, when they crucified him. 
You go through the Old Testament. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you wrap your head around this because last week we talked about, man, I don't even know where to plug in. I'm reviewing and I want to just go and, and here I go. But um, there are three aspects to Paul's sermon. One of them is he starts with the history of the Jews. He's starting with a history. And that's really cool because it's a great place to stop. If you're a Jew, there was three primarily very, very important issues, very prominent themes within a Jew's life. Uh, one of them was historically, God chose the, the Israelites to be his chosen people. That's a pretty cool place to be. Okay. And they took that, they, they really revel in that. They, they think that's fantastic. So where does history lead them? Okay. That's a, that's a question. The culmination of history. What's it all about? Secondarily is the fact uh, oh, yeah. The other thing, if you're a Jew, is there's a promise way back in Genesis chapter 3, literally, to the entire human race. But ultimately, it said it would come through the line of, Jew, of, of the Jews. What's that? The coming Messiah. So that's something else. So we would have hope in a coming Messiah. History is for the Jews in the sense of, I mean, God chose them. That's fantastic. And thirdly, the one thing, now this is very different from our world today. If, for instance, whoops, here we go. If I put on the board uh, a word that would be impactful, I mean, something that would really something just tear you up, that would, that would, and I don't mean it that way, but as such as grab you, and you couldn't really get rid of it. It would just, it would haunt you, it would stay part of you. That's what it would have been to the Jews. The word I'm going to write on the board is that word. This is a word that literally the Jews, their whole life was just an we're just bound up in it. It was all, if today was the day that you would work with this word. Yesterday was a day you would work with that word. You would go to bed tonight and that was a word that really literally would still be part of you. This was a Jewish thing. God gave a system of which they were to deal with this word. Now today, this word that I'm going to write on the board has very little meaning. It's a word if you just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question. Uh, outside, outside of, I say, where we're at today, we're, we're here worshiping God through studying his word uh, in prayer and in praise and all of that. We're here. We will hear this word today. But if you go out into society, you go out into the world, part of the reason that the Jewish leaders miss Jesus is that society will blind them. Just like he beguiled, that's the word that he used, that's used in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He beguiled Eve. He blinded her, Okay. And I tell you what, if Satan can sell the fact that this is of no consequence, this word I'm going to write down, you don't, I'm, this is my challenge, and I don't know, maybe you will. Now, I'm not talking about church events. I'm not talking about getting on a prayer group. I'm not talking about things around the Word of God, around Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm talking about just out in the world that you, you rub shoulders with. You go to the cafe, you go to the parts store, you go whatever you go. There's a word I doubt that you'll hear in, just, in, in conversation. And yet, in the Jews' world, it was big. You guys got that word figured out? What, what was it? I could use that word. It's not the one I was thinking of, though. But actually, this whole, the prophecy thing is something, again, for the Jew is huge. Because whoever this Messiah is, and this is the question for any Jew listening today, or if you know a Jew, my challenge to them, hold me, hold me now, because i got a word i got to write on the board. It has nothing to do with what we're doing right now, but let's do it, okay? Is see how the Old Testament prophecies... Were they fulfilled in Jesus? That is a question they need to answer. And if they're honest with themselves, do you know, do you know how many prophecies Jesus Christ fulfilled of the Old Testament concerning Messiah that he fulfilled? Take a shot. 
All, oh, you guys are so clever. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Now, numerically speaking, how many was there approximately? 192. Okay, is that, is that, is Mike, uh, Mike, no, you're not Mike, you're Jeff, thank you. How did you get to be a Mike? I have no idea. But Jeff said 192. How many say that there's less than 192? I'm not raising my hand to, to lead the crowd. Anybody less than 192? More than 192. Oh, you guys are so noncommittal, right? So let's. Jeff is right. <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> go Jeff. Now, 192 is closer to the number than apparently the rest of the group thinks because they won't even commit, right? That's. <laughs> okay, I think more. there's more. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're exactly right. There's 300. 300. We're a little bit out of sequence right now where we're at, but this, I still, this is really marvelous. This is marvelous. If there's a Jew or anyone, now we can take anyone in the camp, anyone in this camp, 300 prophecies. What if he just fulfilled eight? Let's break it down to eight. Born in Bethlehem. Did not see any corruption. That was a major one that we actually saw. It's in, in, in uh, Psalm chapter two. It says he was begotten of the father. That's a really big play on words. Uh, begotten means to be given birth to, okay? To be created, a procreation, if you will. A man and a woman come together. The offspring would be begotten or beget. You'll see it if you go through the genealogy. Uh, Adam begat, right? And it goes on and on. It says that Jesus was begotten of the Father. Not only the incarnation, in other words, the Holy Spirit within Mary becomes Jesus the child, turns into a man, is crucified, dead, got it, dead, and buried. And then it says in Psalm chapter 16, he was begotten chapter 2, verse of the begotten of the Father. He was given life again. There's a play on words. It's not only his incarnation, but it was also the resurrection. Both of them proving that this is above and beyond what anyone can do. Men killed, God raised. God did the only thing, God did things that man can't do. I mean, how many times have you seen a resurrection? Uh, right? Yeah, and if there is one, I want to check it out, which, man, we're all over the place, but 300. Now, let's, let's go to this, though. Let's say there's eight. I can give you a lot more today, but you can do some of that on your own. In fact, just Google that on your phone. Just go uh, fulfill prophecies in Jesus Christ. They'll probably list as many as 365. Okay, I'm back to eight. What are the odds of eight being fulfilled in one man to present day? It's one in 10 to the 17th power. That's like one with 17 zeros behind. That's for eight. You see, if you do nothing else, if you really, really study Jesus... You really study the Old Testament. Go ahead. Take those prophets. And, and then historically, you can, you know, okay, so don't believe Matthew. I don't know. Study history. Did he live? Yeah. I have people today. You can, I, I don't have people. You can read today. People say Jesus is, is just a figment of imagination. What? Are you crazy? Yeah, it's lasted a long, and it's never going to stop, is it? Historians speak of Jesus. He divides time before 
Christ after Christ, right? This is incalculable, the 300. For me to give, get you an answer on it, get a number. It says this, it's beyond the sand of the sea for those 300 to be in one man. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going to go. Go ahead. Say it. That's great. Yeah, I don't know how deep it is, but the theater, like, silver dollars or something, and it covered the whole state with that, and then you reach in and you grab it. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's, but we'll run with it. It's good enough. If you take the whole state of Texas and you cover it in silver, silver dollars, and I think it's three feet thick. Oh, man, right? And Texas is not small. And then just mix them all up. And Jeff goes out and picks one. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did. See, that should be enough, right? That should be enough. Fulfill prophecy. It's crazy. Now, there's a word I'm going to write on the board. Did you see how I snap right back to that? This is a word that keeps people from Jesus. But this was a word that Paul needed to address in his sermon. He needed to get this front and center because this is something that plagued and haunted the Jews every single moment, every single day. And that word today doesn't mean anything hardly at all outside of the circles today. In fact, I'm going I'm to again, once again, through this week, let's come back. You report back to me next week. Remind me too because I'll probably need to be reminded. How many times you hear just out in public the atmosphere, how many times will you hear the word... Sin. Right? And yet, do you know the number one biggest problem for mankind in this world is not climate change? Sin. It's sin. That is the biggest word, the biggest deal that man has to deal with. You know what history is all about? It's the recovery of man, Operation Recovery. And the really, for me, this again, you talk about God being a God of love. He knows all of this is unfolding. It says that he knew that those, that those people would reject him. The, the Jewish rulers would reject him. And yet he used their rejection as they sought Pilate to kill him to fulfill the very things he said would happen. Before he made man, he knew they would sin. And Operation Recovery was in place. All of history, literally, the culmination, we talked about this two weeks ago, the no, last week, was the culmination of history literally is fulfilled within Jesus. He's the answer to sin. There are no other answers to sin. Some of you have probably tried different things. Solomon tried a lot of stuff. When's the last time you read Ecclesiastes? You can't read that often, can you? It's just like, ah, it's so depressing. Do you know what? I would want it to be written from a viewpoint of a man that probably had more opportunities to do more than anyone could possibly imagine for as long as he wanted and as expansive and extensive as you could possibly even imagine. He had more gold. He had more women. He had more everything. He had more horses. He had all of everything. And it was all done. He said, everything under the sun is just a van. It's vanity. It's a waste of time. Now, not many people are listening to that because how many people are literally chasing everything else under the sun today? It's crazy. History is about Jesus recovering mankind. So Paul is talking about history. He's talking about the coming Messiah. 
And then the last one, this is the one that's really big. We're going to talk about it a lot today, and that is the sin problem. He uses the word justified. Now, if you use the word justified, what does that mean, justified? What does that mean? I want you to say, and I'm going to take you to a Jewish perspective, because Paul is speaking to Jews at this point. Now, I read the last verse today, because you know what happened in that meeting as they're listening? There's Gentiles, no doubt, that would have been outside of the court. They couldn't have been in the inner part of that synagogue, but Paul, no doubt, would have been able to speak to a level. They could have heard what he was saying. Okay? Now, some of it didn't resonate, potentially, but there was something that must have. It was the talk about sin. That had to affect them. Had to. That Jew, though, let's go back now. The Jews that Paul is speaking to, they would have been accustomed to what system in dealing with sin? That now, in America, we have our system of sin is, is ignore. Right? At all costs. Do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and as long as it's not, quote, hurting anyone, you're free to go. That's how we deal with it. How did the Jews deal with it? Punishment. Punishment. What was their system? Sacrificial. It was the law, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. God, God literally he had a lot to say about it. If you read a lot about the Old Testament, you get into, you get into Leviticus and, and the unfolding of all of the Exodus that was given to them. You know, I, I mean, it gives me a headache. The average Jewish family... Father gets to the table, breakfast. Mm, honey, I think I gotta, I gotta have to start the day. I gotta, I gotta. Well, let's see, how many sheep do we have left? Boy, they're going down, aren't they? Mm. I had a bad day yesterday. Couldn't even sleep last night. It was just bugging me. The conscience is. So I gotta take a daily trip down to the temple, and you know they they knew their priest by first name. <laughs> it's me again. You know, that's what would have been common. It's me again, right? It's me again. But did they ever have a justification? And when I say the word justification, at the bottom of the bill, it says, uh, it's, not the, it's, a, it's actually a legal term, not guilty. Now, take that in for a moment. There's not a Jew that took a sacrifice, took a lamb or whatever they were going to do, turtle dove, regardless of wealth, regardless of anything. They went down to the priest, he sacrificed it, and you'd say, whew, we're done with that now. Never. Never. Because what happens tomorrow? I don't know. Need another lamb. Uh, yeah, or more, right? You see, it never left you. Do you see the sin problem? Do you see it? It's just plaguing them. What was God's message in all of that? There's no justification. You cannot be justified by the law. Do you see the problem? See, it's hard for... I can't even get you there yet. And this is, this is deep for a Jew. The sacrificial system was, it was... It was almost pointless because tomorrow was another day. We'll do it again. And after that, again. And again. All we were doing was covering. That word is atone. Uh, and some people will say that Jesus atoned my sins. It's bigger than that. He took them away. John the Baptist, which was fulfilling prophecy as well, in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it said there needed to be a forerunner. Guess who that was? It was John the Baptist. Not because he was a Baptist, because he baptized for the coming of this coming one, a baptism of repentance. That's a start. You have to do that. It's one of the first things. Remember David? Um, when did his sin really take effect? On, I'm taking the one. Uh, uh, he was caught in the sin of adultery and murder. 
and, and countless other ones. You may, can you, that's one thing I would say to anyone, especially a young person. Do not underestimate the power of sin. Whew. It, just, it just can hold you. And without Christ, it does hold you. You're dead in trespasses and sins. But think of David. When did things start to meet home? And yes, Nathan put his finger right in his face and said, you are that man. You, David, are that man. What did he do? He confessed his sin. That's the place to start. No confession, you're not going anywhere. So it takes a, a confession to go bring the lamb to go to the priest. But after that's over, okay, that's what I covered yesterday. And you know tomorrow is going to be the same deal. Do you see the hopelessness in that? Oh. Right? And any salvation apart from Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same thing. If you're here and you're working your way to God, you have the same problem. You keep sacrificing something, right? Whatever you want to call it. I'm putting quotes around sacrifice because that's what the Jews would have understood. If you're working your way to salvation, that means you went to church an extra time. You got a brownie point for going and ministering in the nursing home. You went to the jail and you talked to some of those folks and you, you, you get this list. It's, it, it's, do you see how pointless it is? You can't fix the problem. Those Jews, they had, and you know what today, it's interesting, in AD 70, all of that whole Jewish ritualistic system was completely wiped out by the Romans. And here's, here's a really weird part. The Jewish community, you know what they want more than anything else today? Is another temple so they can have a sacrificial system. <laughs> no, a million times no, just to get Jesus, right? So actually all I got to know is they got to know that this is what Paul's doing. Jesus equals Messiah. He's done it by focal pointing him on the culmination of history. He's done it in the sense of fulfilling prophecy. Whoop, I erased it. He went and just talked about a couple of them, right? But you dig in, and if you really want to know that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, it's amazing. But justification of sin, that's a whole nother level justification of sin, the recovery of man. Why did, why did God make man? Did he have to? The answer is no. And the follow-up, does he have to stay, stay with man? He does now. You know why? Because he made promises. Yeah, but he could start over. He could. But unfortunately, no, it's good for us. He can't because he made promises. He said, Jesus is the one that will save man from their sin. The Old Testament is words of truth that literally cannot be unbound because God's word cannot fail. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he could have before he made man. See, he already knew, oh, my goodness, they're the Garden of Eden. It's as good as it gets. We were walking together, and boom, Satan comes over and just throws this little story about how you can be your own God. And unfortunately, you've been it. Let's just wipe them off the map and start over. He didn't do that. That's what history is all about, is the recovery plan. But why did he make Why did he make man? What's the purpose? Did he make man so the man could chase off and go get rich and wealthy? And... No. That's right. Fellowship with him. God, even in the sense of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, even in that sense of one God, three personalities, there's a sense of fellowship within that even. God created mankind for fellowship with him. 
And, and think about it, what's, what's the opposite of sin? I shouldn't have erased the word, because I want, I, I gotta, I'm gonna write it back on there, right? <laughs> That'll be our homework. And see, next week it'll still be there, and we'll say, now, how many of you heard the word sin outside of the church? And you'll say, you didn't probably. At any rate, fellowship. What does sin do in a relationship with God? Totally. Even if you're a Christian, even if you've been justified for a moment. Uh, that's why it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he was faithful to confess his sin. I'm sorry, he would confess his sin. God is faithful to forgive the sin, right? What does it start with? Confession. Fellowship is broken when we sin. The sense of fellowship with God, that's what divided it. That's what keeps us as Christians even. And it's amazing. The more that, the more that sin becomes pla- comes to place, the further God be- goes away. Even in the Christian community, you find someone that is trapped in sin, and it's like they, they just keep moving further away. Isolation. Satan loves isolation. He doesn't want Christians talking to Christians. Heavens no. Well, of course not. Sin problem. God spent all of history talking about Jesus, the one that would, could fix it, the one that would recover mankind from it. Let's go to Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8. In the law, there's no rest. There's no peace. In verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Jesus Christ is master over all. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's the reason for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Look at verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make, $10 word, reconciliation for the sins of the people. That is absolutely what Jesus came to do, was to reconcile, to bring back together what sin had divided. And that's what Paul is saying in Acts chapter 13. Look at verse, the fulfilling, it's amazing the word that's even used here. In verse 33 it says, of, of Acts chapter 3, let's go back to Acts chapter 13 for a moment. Uh, verse 32, now let's even, let's, let's go back to verse 29. Uh, let's tie in uh, the prophecies of literally the, 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 the resurrection in this case. It says, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. Are you ready? I mean, in other words, God waited. What, what was he doing while he was, he was, he was on the cross? He fulfilled prophecy while he was on the cross. When it was all fulfilled, they took him off the cross. What would have been some of the things that could have been fulfilled on the cross? In, in Psalms chapter 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And that's exactly what Jesus Christ would have cried on the cross during from noon to three. He's wearing your sins. He's wearing my sins. Uh, how many sins of yours did Jesus die for? All of them, every single one. How many of those were present or past? Every single one that he died for, for you that you're sitting here today, was future. And that's why when you think about it, the sense of security that you have in Jesus Christ, your future is just as fixed because he paid for sins that are in your past but was in his future when he died on the cross and for those that are future to you now. Those are paid for. The key is, will you put your faith and trust in him? If you don't, if it's faith and trust in you and your works or in sacrifice or whatever it might be, you will fail miserably, right? Someone that's trying to keep their salvation, and I've got to do, I've, I've, I've got to, the pressure is just like having a sacrificial system. Someone that says you can lose your salvation, first of all, I question what is that salvation? There's some salvation I want you to lose. If it's based on your works, lose it. Lose it now. But your salvation, if it's based in on trusting Jesus Christ, God's grace by faith alone in Christ alone, you cannot lose that because you didn't gain it except by trusting Christ for it. And if you believe that you can lose your salvation, that means your salvation is not good enough or it's not in the right place. It's just like the, the sacrificial system. You're, you don't know about tomorrow. And I feel so, I, I know some really great people that believe they can lose their salvation. There's no peace. How could there possibly be? Which sin is it that could separate me? And if I don't quickly confess and get it back, that, do you see? It, it's just like the sacrificial system. What are you being justified by? You are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and he alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the salvation and the only salvation that truly is justifying of sin. The rest of them are just chasing it like the wind. Just chasing it. I could name cults. I could name denominations. I could do that, but it's pointless. It, it doesn't matter. If it's not Jesus, it's all pointless. And that's what Paul's saying. He uses the word justified for a reason. There's no way that you can be not guilty of all aside from the one that paid for all. He dealt with sin. Let's take a look at uh, the Jews' awareness of sin. Let's go back to uh, 2 Samuel for a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let's take a look. Uh, now, <clears throat> David, I don't know how much we should... Maybe we should just open the chapter. We're going to skip down to verse 10 after a while. But anyway, it says, uh, verse 1, chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. Uh, David, now what do we know about David? Stop for a moment. What, just forget about this for a moment. What do you, tell me about David. What do you know about him? David is? He's a warrior. You bet he is. And he's a good one. He's one of the best. Why is he a really good warrior? He trusts God, right? I still, I might have said this, it's one of my favorite things. Here comes little David. He was, maybe he wasn't super little, but he wasn't, he wasn't a monster. And, you know, this Goliath, was a mon Goliath was a monster. And Saul was a big man, wasn't he? He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was everything that the people thought he should be, but he didn't really act up, fulfill what he was being told. So here comes David with some goods for his brother at the war. And, the, and it says, uh, 
You know, you got the Israelites on one side of the valley and you got the Philistines on the other side of the valley. And he's walking in and it just happens, so happens that the Goliath, the, the, you know, the runt of the valley comes over and he says, uh, Okay, Israel, bring one man over here to fight me and the winner is subject to the other, right? And so David, he didn't know, he doesn't know this guy's out. They've been at this for 40 days. Ah! How do you, oh, by the way, when you have unbelief, do you know what happens with time? It gets bigger. In those Israelites' minds right now, Goliath wasn't, whatever he, how old was he, nine foot or something? I didn't go and look. It's cubits, but he's, he's a big boy, right? He's, he's going to be, he's going to be up there. But do you know how big it was to those Israelites that had disbelieved what God could do? He's probably about 100 feet tall at this point. When you don't trust God with your problems, problems get bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? That's exactly right. He was huge. And David's coming in and he says, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? Let me go then. <laughs> See, that's who David was. He was a man, a man after God's own heart. Now work with that for a moment. Because was he sinless? Of course he wasn't. Of course he wasn't. Ah! But when he, that Bathsheba thing, that took some time for him to confess, admit and confess. But his heart was soft. Remember that? We were available, prepare, and soft heart. Those are things that David had. He was a king. Here we go. Here's the situation. Verse 1 starts out, it puts us in a, in a it, it doesn't sound good. And again, the anger of the Lord. Stop. Ooh, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. As a result of what David did on his own, he went to Joab and he said, that was his commander in chief, if you will. He was the, the army's leader. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do, Joab. I want you to go out and count the people. Count how many warriors I have. Count how many people we have because I want to know how many people I have. I don't know if I did that just the way David did it, but he wanted to know because that's his power. His power was at the people that he had. And God said, oh, David, 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 David. Verse 8, so when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It took nine months and 20 days to count them. Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people under the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now, just for a moment, what's the population of Montana? About 800,000, is that right? Or is it a million? I don't know. It's going way too fast. If you're on the roads right now, it's way too many people for me. Uh, I liked it. A, even five years ago, it was fantastic, right? And, and the Bozeman area right now, I have to just go through it. I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it, right? Uh, quick, this will be quick. So I, I had to fly to a, to a cattle auction deal. And so I left Bozeman, went to, this, is, this sounds really, I do not go to LAX for any reason, usually. But it was a connecting flight. And I said to Larissa, what? LAX? <laughs> what? What? She said, Dad, you gave me the dates and the times. I said, yeah, that's for no problem. So I get out of LAX. Now, of course, I didn't switch concourses. I want to be careful to say, just, you know, boom, on the B concourse. Get on that. Get to Reno. From Reno, I drive over to Winnemucca. I drive back from Winnemucca. Get on at Reno. I go to Salt Lake City. And I come off in the friendly little quiet airport of Butte, Montana. <laughs> it was, it was great. But you know the busiest airport of all of those that I've just named was Bozeman, Montana. Uh, yeah. Bozeman, Montana is crazy. What happened to it? Yeah. Yeah. What happened to it? 
Okay, I can't go down that, that street was, uh, the point of the matter is, the population is going up quickly. But think of that, 800,000 valiant men. The population of Montana was men that literally David could count on. That's what he was after. But you know what he left behind? That's kind of like us checking what we have in our checkbook, seeing how much wealth we have, how many contracts we have, right? Or even if you're into the Facebook thing, how many followers you have, or Twitter, how many followers you have, right? You guys are laughing. I must be looking really silly. But you know what? That's what life's about, isn't it? And you know what gets left out? God. David left God out of the census. It's for us today. I have God. That's all I need. Right? But look at David. I want to show you. I want to show you this now. And David's heart, verse 10, David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have, in, in that I have done. And now I beseech you, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came out of the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose one, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. And he gave him three options. And literally David said, Do it unto me. I'm the one that deserves that. That's rare. Okay? A lot of times it's easy for us, Yes, I sinned greatly, and I confess it. You can do that. But how many of us follow through and said, Now, I need to be punished because I am guilty. That's David's heart. That would have been the Jewish context of sin. This word sin, it meant a lot. David's conscience is on fire, right? And that one hurt. Sin has consequences. As you all know, sin has consequences. Verse 17 David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Lay it on me, Father. That's the Jewish awareness of sin. Forgiveness. That was a word in the Old Testament that just didn't even get there. You sacrificed a lamb, guess what? That wasn't forgiveness. That was covering. And that was the whole purpose of the law. What? It was our schoolmaster, says in Galatians. It was to show us that we needed more than that. I think of all these religions that literally, if, if you're really involved in that, you can be really good at religion. You can, you can be so good at religion, and yet you fail miserably. Because it's more than what you can do. You can't do enough, right? You can't do it. That's Paul's message. You can't justify yourself. There's nothing, nothing. The law can't justify you. Covering, it's not forgiveness. You can only temporarily for today. Let's go to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9. Let's pop in at verse 14. Actually, verse 6 first. Verse 6. Ah, that's not right. Let's go to verse 14. Why did I have that written down? That's okay. Let's go to 14. Uh, verse 12. 
neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained, say the word, eternal Eternal redemption. That word is there for a reason. I'm so glad that it's there. Having obtained partial redemption for us, having obtained redemption for 200 years. That wouldn't do us any good, would it? Eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats, bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's what Jesus Christ got done. Keep going. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this. Verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year by year. By, oh, it doesn't say that. Does it? After continually making the comers there unto perfect. The continuum. Nauseam, right? Where are you going, Dad? I'm going to the temple. Do you see... Hopefully you came here today to worship God with a, if, with a heart that was reaching out, that wanting to get closer to God, to praise, to lift up, to glorify Him. How much fun would it have been for Billy Bob to take his sheep and take it to the temple? He is literally taking a life. And I'm not making it the same. Don't get me wrong. I mean, animals and humans are very, very different. I wish our society could grab that. A whale is not as worth saving as a baby. Hello! But you know what? That's what evolution does. Evolution places us all on the same level. We're all walking out of a mud puddle and we're all the same. No! But still, it cost sheep his life for a sin that he committed. And he's going. Do you see, do you see what sin would have been? See, I'm trying to get you there. Sin was big time in, the, in, in an Israelite's life. That Jew was, sin was every part of every day. Ah! I wonder the conversation would have taken place between the priest. Now, granted, God had a rotation, right? There were rotating priests. The high priest was the same, you know, until he was fulfilled. But you would have had courses of those. I'm wondering how well you knew your priests. Oh, it's you again, Bob. Well, how about, sorry, Bob, I didn't mean you. Let's go with Ralph. Ralph, so good to see you. And, you know, both of them would say, There's no hope, right? Literally, without Christ, there is no hope. Without justification, there is no hope. Are you depressed yet? It's depressing. I've said a million times, and I don't, well, maybe not a million, but a lot of times, I'm just so glad I wasn't living then in the sacrificial system. I like the post-sacrificial system. The sacrifice has been paid. It's done for eternity. Jesus Christ fixed it, played it. It's done. And the way we know it is the fact that he was begotten of the Father after he was dead and buried. He resurrected from the dead, proving that he was completely sufficient for the job at hand. He was paid death, and he received resurrection, and we get what he got. Isn't that fantastic? I, I just, I can't even describe that for you. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the law is a shadow of things to come. Have you, have you been? Sometimes uh, you can watch if you're at the right time of the evening and you know someone's coming, you know something's coming, but the shadow is first. Ah, it's coming, right? That's what the law did. It was the shadow. You, could knew, you knew something was coming, and it was just the shadow of the real thing to come. The Jews would have had that in mind, something the Messiah. See, even, even the Jewish ladies, women, they wanted to be able to be that one that could carry the Jewish Messiah. That would have been as good as it gets. Now, actually, it's interesting. In the Muslim religion, the Mahdi, M-A-D-I, the Mahdi would be similar to the Messiah, the coming of the Mahdi. Remember that, uh, what was that guy's, he was, uh, he was Ahmadinejad? The guy was whacked, right? But he kept saying, the coming of the, Mah- of the Mahdi. It's amazing how the world is seeking after something that's a counterfeit. Keep going. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, again, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year after year, continually from the, from the comers until perfect. For then would they not have ceased to offer? If that was good enough, would you not? And, and think, think, just a minute, just a minute. Here, come, here comes Ralph home. There's no Ralph in here, is there? No. Ralph's coming along. What do you think, honey? Finally. I have finally reached it. I have finally sacrificed the last one that I'll ever have to do. No more trips down to the temple. No more meeting with the priest. No more lambs. I'm done. They could never happen. Never happen. It just kept going. <laughs> and what Paul is saying to these people that are receiving it, that let's read it. Let's go back to Acts now. I was going to read a few more verses. Just hold, hold, hold a thought. Let's finish Hebrews chapter 10. Don't move. Don't move. For then would they not have ceased to offer. Of course they couldn't stop. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Conscience. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of goats and of bulls should take away sin. Absolutely. Back to Acts chapter 13. Let's go there. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, verse 38, verse 38, that through this man is preached unto you, and he's talking about Jesus, the back in verse 33, I'm sorry, verse 23, he says, this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Come back to Ralph. Ralph is coming. He's come home. How'd it go? Well, I got that sin forgiven. No, he could never say that. He could say, I covered that sin from yesterday. Forgiveness, that's a concept that was not even thought of. Forgiveness, that's, what? Like I don't owe it? And verse 39, and by him all that believe are justified from half of those things. All things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be like... Now, probably sometime, most of you in this room have, have had some type of an illness, something going on, and you called your doctor, you went to your doctor, and they prescribed something that you got in a bottle, uh, either uh, most of the time probably a pill, right? Okay? And you take your pill home, and, and you have a fair amount of confidence in it because your doctor, who you really trust, has told you that this will help you. Okay? And so you go ahead and take the prescribed amounts. Now, if that actually helps you in the, say, 48 hours and you feel like a brand new, new you, you know, that bottle is thought of that that was really did quite a job, right? 
But let's take the reverse, which has probably happened to you as well. You get the bottle of prescription and you go home and you take it and you're actually allergic to it. Does that happen? That bottle no longer is looked at the same, is it? In fact, you hate looking at that bottle. Isn't that exactly what the sacrificial system is? The results are not good. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And worse. It doesn't fix anything. It didn't make you less of a sinner. You don't have less lust because you sacrificed Lammy yesterday. There's no life in it, right? You can't be justified by it. You can't be justified by the law. And that's what he's saying. He said that literally in him, in him, by him, all that believe are justified from all things. The gospel is wrapped up in that right there. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. This probably says it as well as any. Romans chapter 3. Let's start in verse 20. Romans 3, 20. It says it pretty clearly there. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Isn't that true? Absolutely. The sacrificial system, you didn't come home and feel good about yourself. Your conscience never, it just continued. It was still there. It was still fully engaged. There are people today, and this is on the other side of it, there are people that they've sinned in their minds so much that there's no hope for them. I can't be saved. I've sinned too much. I've done too much stuff. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm outside of that. Now, that's another ploy from Satan. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's terrible, 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 terrible. Let's see. Which sin couldn't Jesus pay for? Uh, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He paid for every one. But there's a catch. You have to receive it by Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why I love to just give Bibles away. I love to read the Word of God. You know, we, you probably, if, if, if you're here for any period of time, we read the Bible. Because I want that Word in you. Because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. It's a lot harder for you to quench what, I told you I was going to get to that study sometime. I haven't done it yet. To quench the Spirit. When you're taking in the Word of God, it's so much easier for the Spirit to work in you. To work in you. It's so, so valuable. Now, I'm, sometimes as I'm driving down the road, which seems to be more than I'd like, um, I've gotten into a daily audio Bible. So I'm listening to the Word of God. Now, I don't listen as well, so sometimes I have to, I not try, I'm not doing this while I'm driving. I'm not reading while I'm driving. Okay, I want to assure you of that. Don't leave this place like that. But for me to just listen doesn't get it for me. I don't, are you one of those? Are you a sight person or are you a... a Okay, see, I have, that's why I have to have the board, see. See, that, that word now, it's, it's a lock. See, I'm going to remember that, okay? And in my mind, when I hear it, if I can read it while I'm hearing it, ooh, that's a double lock. Someone else reading it to me, and I'm reading it with that person. Ooh, wow, got it. Got it. <laughs> now, if, you just, if I'm just listening, and you gave me a test, ah. Uh, and I, I, for me, it's sight, right? But sight and sound together, it's fantastic. Take the Word of God in. Take it 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 in. Let the Holy Spirit work. Let Him guide you. Let Him empower you. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we were there. It says, there's no justification. There's nothing. Nothing you can be justified by the law. 
from sin. But look at verse 21. But now, but, I love the buts, but now the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of Larry or of name your name, put your name in there. It doesn't say that. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's shown, it's full blown, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, watch now, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Whose righteousness do you receive? Do you know how you're justified? It's not, this, this is really important now. It's not like, okay, I got a new plan. No more sacrifices. I'm done with that. I'm, I'm sick of what you guys are not learning. This isn't working out. So here's the deal. I'm just going to just forget it all. Just, just to go. Just do what you do. Just be humans. He can't do that. God would cease to be God if he did that. There's got to be a payment. There has to be payment. You can't just make it go away. Now, this is really important. No matter what you could do, and I'm, I'm, you put your good side on. You, you, you do the best that you could possibly do right now. Got it? Got it in your mind? Didn't take long, did it? Boom. It's not enough. God could never justify you on that. Even if, if, you, even if it was 24-7 of your best moments, put them all together. Just everything you could do good. It's not good enough. Here's how God can justify you. When you trust Christ who paid for your sin, you did a trade. Actually, God did a trade. Jesus took all of your sin, He wore them, and He gave you in return what it said right there. What was that? The righteousness of Larry? No. The righteousness of your name? No. The righteousness of God. That's why God can take a look. He sees your name? Oh, yeah, I see Christ. I see that Larry is righteous because he trusted Christ. That's new information. That's brand new information to these people. What? They're still in the sacrificial system. Blew their minds. Is it important? It's life, life breath. It's, it's huge. The three things that Paul did was what? He talked about the culmination of history. The Jews. Jesus was all about it. That was all about Jesus. In fact, you'll find Jesus in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15. It comes from the seed of the woman. Reproductively, there's no seed in a woman. It had to come from God. Had to come from God. It's right there. It goes all the way through. Then he talked about the coming Messiah. It was promised. Did he come? Was it proven in Jesus? He dropped the bomb. He said, the Savior. Yes, preach it, preach it. His name, his name is Jesus. What? Jesus? We killed him. Well, that wasn't exactly a clever move. But God worked it out so that when you killed him, prophecy was fulfilled. He did everything required for grace to take effect. Now, all you have to do is trust Christ for what he did, and then you will be justified of your sins. It made such an impact that literally the next, did you see what they said? They said that, back to Acts chapter 13, we'll just close with a couple other passages, but Acts chapter 13, it says, he, by the way, let's read verse 39, and by him, Jesus, all that believe in him are justified from all things. 
from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your works in your days, and a work which you shall do in no wise believe, though a man declared unto you. That's actually out of, out of Habakkuk. Okay? And what he's saying, he said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and you won't believe me. Paul is saying, you better listen to what I'm telling you. This is really, really important. Without this, you're doomed, essentially. Uh, and someone that has given the gospel of Jesus Christ to refuse it, to put walls up, is a dangerous thing to do. Very dangerous thing to do. But look at how the Gentiles responded to this. Now, this, this, is, this is God's work again. I want to take one step back. We didn't talk about it today. How did, how did Paul and Barnabas get to Antioch and Pisidia? Through the Holy Spirit. They were spirit-filled. They were prepared. They were available. They had a soft heart. They were yielding to the Spirit. Your life today in 2023, I don't care what your name is right now, if you're a Christian, you need to be yielding to the Holy Spirit, letting Him take you where He wants you. That may be on a phone call to someone out of the blue. Comes across your call that person. You need to write, write that person. Let the Spirit use you. It wasn't by accident that they show up at this synagogue of which they say, Oh, Paul. Of Tarsus. Uh, do you have anything to say? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, let me share with you about Jesus. They're there by the Holy Spirit. Guess what happens now? He gives us, in the synagogue, he gives this message of the history of the Jews, the coming of the Messiah of the Jews, and the justification of sins by the Messiah, who is Jesus. Guess who else heard that? Let's look at our next verse. This is what we'll come to next week. Verse 41. Of verse 42, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Paul, we want to hear from you again. We want to hear that. We want to hear that again, because for them, some of that would have been, I'm not sure I got that. Let's hear it again. That's a seeking God. Are you really searching the scriptures? When you find something you don't understand, are you digging in? Are you finding it? Are you getting answers? Do that. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you as you yield to him. Let's, uh, let's close with, uh, well, two, two more, if you don't mind. Colossians chapter 2. I've got that in my notes. Colossians chapter 2. Let's take a look at verses 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, come on. Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, speaking to the church at Colossae, and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Hath he quickened, that's to be made alive together with him, having forgiven you half your trespasses? All trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Every one of those sins that you ever have, ever will, when you're in Christ, they are nailed to that cross. Now, my question is, why do you climb up the... You know, I've told you before, that cross wasn't very high, actually. Jesus' feet probably would have been right there. Okay? So, think of that. Mary, his mother, standing at the foot of the cross. She's literally just a few feet away from her suffering son. I don't know, moms, what that must have been like. But you know what? Mary was gathered in the upper room with 120 others when the Holy Spirit came on them at the day of Pentecost, and Mary, his mother, needed Jesus more than, or just as much as anyone else. She's not any more. She's not any less. She's a sinner saved by grace, and in this case, her very son. 
I can't imagine what that would have been like. But that cross has your sins on it. Why do we want to go over there and pull those babies off once in a while? Why? We're dead to them. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and because of Jesus Christ, literally you're justified from all of it. I say this out loud to myself sometimes. It's in, it's in Romans chapter 6. I am no longer a slave to sin. And you say it out loud, it has more power. And I say it usually, you know, you can feel temptation coming out. The older you get, you can, like that Ralph, you know, back at there, I can't believe it, but I got sucked in with it again, right? You can, you can, you can, right? But if you can say, I am no longer a slave to sin. Freedom is not doing what I want to do. Freedom is being able to do what you should do. What Jesus is calling you to do. See, someone that does not have Christ cannot serve Jesus Christ. It's impossible. They're not free to do that. They're bound to only sin. A sinner can only sin. Think of that. That's, that's freedom. I can't tell you how many people have run it. Oh, I don't want to give up. Well, you can't give up because you don't have Christ. Now you're free. You're free to do the right thing. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Isn't that good? I mean, we're not a slave to sin. That's fantastic. One more verse just popped in my head. This one here is the one that probably, if you were going to ask me, no, I can't say that. I was going to say my favorite verse, but it's, it's in the top 100. <laughs> but this one's key, though. I'll say this. If you don't have this, if you've trusted Christ and Satan continues coming to plague you, oh, you're really not saved. You're, you're really not saved. You're not really who you say you are. You're a loser. You know, you, you keep failing and you keep failing. and You, you know what? You're, you're just nothing. Okay? This is the verse you need to know. One of them. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is one. Actually, I remember when this verse was first pointed out to me. I was in Paradise Valley Community Church, and the man's name was Stan Carter. I believe Stan's still living. Uh, he was in Georgia last I knew. He married Lisa and I. And this was a verse he said was his favorite verse. And we turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that good stuff? You can say what you want, you can be where you want, but there's no condemnation to all of those that are in Christ Jesus. I don't know how it can get any better than that. Here's the flip side. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. And that's our message. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. That's literally what Paul said out loud, big and bold. And you know what the Gentiles said? We want to hear it again next week. That's getting it done, isn't it? That's being in the right place at the right time. Guess, what, guess, what, guess what's going to happen in that coming week? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Guess what Paul says to Barnabas on the way out of the synagogue? Hey, buddy, you know where we're going to be next week, huh? Let's be praying for those Gentiles. Let's, hope the whole, let's pray that the Holy Spirit literally takes a hold of their hearts so that there will be a harvest next week when we preach Jesus again. That's what we need to be praying. That's what we need to be preaching. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He truly is the answer for everything that's going on today. Here's the, here's the tricky part. And I asked you to do this, think about it a couple weeks ago. Maybe it's last, I don't know, but it seems like in the past, obviously, is thinking about who you're speaking to, starting at a point that they can get started. And that's further back than it used to be. You can't just pick up a conversation and just start with Jesus now. They don't even know who he is. The Jews were very resistant. But what he did is he used the scriptures to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. We're back to those 300, 300 prophecies. 
300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. He's good enough to be the Messiah. He's good enough to be the, because he was resurrected. And he also says, Paul did in this passage, that literally there are witnesses all across and throughout Judea that literally saw Jesus after he was resurrected. That's not a figment of someone's imagination. That's real. <laughs> I have to say this now. There's, there are those that just totally reject all of this. They're an atheist. They're an atheist. There's no one literally that can ever claim to be an atheist. An atheist says what? Says there is no God. That means that you as an atheist have to be a God big enough to make sure there is no God. You can't do that. That means you'd have to know everything about everything, be everywhere that you could possibly be to know that there's no God. That is the most prideful thing I can ever imagine. But that's not surprising. It says the fool says in his heart there is no God. A fool is a proud person. If you're an atheist today, you better get on your knees and work it backwards. You can say you're an agnostic, but you cannot say you're an atheist. No one can say that. All right. Paul's on fire, isn't he? He's way away from home. Holy Spirit's working. We're going to come back and we're going to see responses. That's the thing. You cannot respond for somebody else. You can only respond for yourself. As Paul shared this gospel, he could not respond for all of the other people that were going to receive it. Next week, we'll look at that. Any questions or comments? We're going to close with a benediction that we find in Hebrews chapter 13. Any questions or comments? Yeah, go ahead. For those Jews that didn't believe in the Messiah, did they continue on into the sacrificial system? Did they? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So are they doing it today? No. No, that's what they're, in fact, see, that was another thing. It, I, I, now, again, it's not in the scripture, so I have to be careful. This would, this would be in the sense of reading through what we would perceive. Okay, so when Jesus was crucified, approximately 33 A.D., okay, he was crucified, rose again. Um, we're probably 10 years into this church beginning, so we're about 43, 45 A.D., okay? Um, what, where did the gospel go first? The Jews first, right? In Jerusalem. He literally opened it up in the temple. They, was, they, were doing, they were doing revival meetings, if you will, in the outer court of the Gentiles, in the synagogue, the temple of Jerusalem. And they're talking about Jesus. That's where it started. Okay? So Jews get saved. It's great. And as Ernie said, those that didn't, what did they do? Well, they just kept following along with that whole sacrificial system because Jesus, he's a fraud. He's a fake. He's, he's everything that, he's not. He's not God. So they keep going. But it was like God gave them another 30, 40 years, a generation, if you will, just spinning in circles. It sounds like a wilderness adventure, right? Reject, reject, reject. Guess what happened in 1870? The Romans wiped the entire city out, wiped out the entire temple. There has never been a temple rebuilt since AD 70. Now they have, this is what's interesting looking forward, uh, they have most of the required materials uh, uh, rat hold actually that's a bad word um, gathered okay supplies are gathered to build this temple a new temple in Jerusalem but they need to it needs to be geographically to a place they don't have access to <clears throat> which to me now 
That's in Muslim, that's in Muslim hands, okay? To me, this is where literally the Antichrist would be one of the first missions he comes on board to do. That's why I think we're really close because, it, now again, again, God can do anything. He's, he's not bound by time. He's not certainly bound by what I'm thinking. He's not at all. But there's things that kind of come through your mind. If they've not had a temple since 70 AD, so as Ernie said, they wanted to, and then finally God said, I'm going to take that away from you. I have provided everything you need to have the perfect sacrificial system, and it was Jesus Christ once and for all for eternal redemption. That's all you'll ever need. And then reject, reject. He just smoked it off the face of the earth. They've never had a place since. They have desired to reinstate the sacrificial system. Keep assembling supplies. They don't have a place because of the Arab-Muslim faction friction. Okay? Now, it tells us that the Antichrist will take power when he makes a treaty with the Jews. What could that, what could that treaty possibly be other than to give them, in this case, a place to build their temple, to rejoin what they've always wanted to do. Will they? I believe they will build that temple one more time. But it tells us in Zechariah chapter 12 at the end of the tribulation period. Now that, that time frame, that's another thing. We're in the church age, if you will. We're in this grace period with Gentiles. This is literally, this is all about grace for Gentiles. When we get to the end of this, there's the catching up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The word rapture is not there, but the concept is everywhere. Just like in the Old Testament where, what was his name? Uh, he lived 365 years and God just took him. What was his name? Somebody said it? Enoch. Enoch, yeah. For 365 years he walked with God and then God took him. Just snatched him up. It's basically the same concept as us serving Jesus Christ in the church in everything that it is. We are not, Jesus is not coming the second coming to the earth. We are meeting him in the air. That's the rapture. That's what closes out the church age. Of which I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go, right? Okay. At the end of that, when the church is pulled out, I can't imagine how difficult it will be. I, I, I just can't imagine how difficult it will be. But at that point, it's wide open stage front for Antichrist to take place. He's, he, he's locked and loaded. Is he living today? I would say the chances are very high, personally. Really is. Uh, we're setting ourselves up. I'm hearing words like one world government. I'm hearing digital currencies. I'm hearing things that literally are almost, we're too far along for it to go backwards. It's like uninventing the car. You know, we would have a lot less deaths if we didn't have any cars. Well, you're not going to uninvent a car, right? You're not going to uninvent... You're not going to uninvent. To me right now, where we're going with all of this political dialogue, we are at a stage now where it seems like the forefront, the curtains are about to be opened into the last phase. Now, the tribulation period is not one that we work with on the Gentile scope. It's God working with the Jews. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Seven years of tribulation. Seven years that literally the Jews will be front and fore and center. Now, in that seven years, I can't describe, you will, if you go through the book of Revelation, we might do that. It's, I, I haven't been led to do that just yet, but we may because it seems more pertinent all the time. Um, the point of the matter is what happens on this planet in those seven years, I, I, it's, it, it is out there. It's beyond your imagination. So difficult. But it takes that for the Jews finally as a nation to say, Jesus is our Messiah. And Zechariah 12 says, they will look on him who they pierced.
That brings tears to my eyes to know that that same one and that Roman soldier would have pierced his side and blood and water came out. That one that was hanging on the cross because the Jews requested his crucifixion. That one they will worship at the end of the tribulation period. And all I can say is praise God. I don't think we're very far away from the beginning of that. The church is about to be called out. Now, I want to hasten to say, the disclaimer is, every generation has said the same thing. <laughs> I'm not picking dates. I'm not doing any of that. But the things that are in Revelation that are speaking to the fact of a one-world dictator, a one-world person, we're moving quickly to that. You can just see the alliances that are taking place. The lack of, of individual nation sovereignty. I've never seen America being less patriotic, being less loved by its new generation to actually appreciate the flag of which men and women have given their lives to pay for the freedom. That we're, worsh we're worshiping here today because of the freedoms afforded us of living in this country that have been paid for by the lifeblood of others. I mean, we have lots to be thankful for. Tons and tons of things to be. But what are we doing with our time? Are we redeeming the time? What it says? Redeem the time. Okay, boy, I went way over my board again. Then. Okay, uh, again, just to rehearse. Let's come back next week in your travels. I'm going to go out on a ledge and say there's no way that one person in your travels around the world. Now, again, anything, church activities, anything to do with the Lord, any prayer meetings, any, you know, things that literally we deal with that. I'm gonna, you know, just, just out in the world, I'll bet it's less than two that you guys will come up with. I don't even think it'll be one. Okay? You guys gonna do that? Okay. <laughs> you're gonna start the conversation, is what you're gonna do. That's not quite fair, but you know what? Go for it. <laughs> if the Spirit leads you to do that, you go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is, without question, the history is about the recovery of mankind. This is number one problem. Always has been. And until Jesus Christ comes back and we serve him forever, it always will be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the Bible. The word of God. The truth. The unfolding of Jesus Christ. Literally, Jesus Christ has split time before him and after him. He truly is the epicenter of everything that happens because, Father, you have been talking about through history. It's your story. It's the story of mankind being recovered from sin. Father, I pray for anyone that is here today or hears my voice anytime that today is the day of salvation. Do not reject this time frame. Do not walk away from literally taking these quiet moments where it's just you and God in your heart. Just you and God in your heart. He knows you better than you do. You know you can't fool him. But you've never done business. You've never got it right. You're a sinner. You know there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can escape from. Because you're not good enough. But right now, we've read a passages, several passages that tell us that you can be justified. You can be not guilty. You can have a guilty free conscience you can have peace in your life if you would do one thing if you would well two things first of all admit you're a sinner i am a sinner i confess my sin and i accept christ as my full and final payment of sin i repent i turn around i go towards god i go towards jesus i receive him by faith if you do that in your heart, if you do that in the inner sanctum,
of the most personal place of you personally. That this moment you have been saved. The Holy Spirit now indwells you. You are literally the temple of the Holy Spirit. A new creature has been born. Jesus Christ paid for your sin. If you choose not to do that, then I would pray that you would do it quickly. That the Holy Spirit would work on your heart, on your mind, not letting up to bring you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. But once you're in Jesus, you are secure. May the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're filled with him, work in us through this week. Father, we pray for those we come in contact with. We would have the right words, the right actions, that literally, Father, you would be glorified and they would see Jesus in us. Take us and use us as you see fit. Life's journey, one step at a time, with you is our focus. Thank you for what you're doing in Christ's precious and holy name.